welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. So many games played, so many points of dexterity and wisdom gained, and now it's time to reconvene and tell tales. Welcome to episode 121 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. King Scott here. And today's episode is chock full. We've got a ton of recent plays for the 8-bit breakdown of World Wonders. We'll be doing the Time War for Lacrimosa, Adventure to the Horizon for a game called Pause of Duty. And as duty means poop. And as we've done 10 reviews over the last few months, we're going to do a top five king. You've been busy lately. Oh, boy. I... (laughs) I cannot tell you how good this last week felt that I didn't have rehearsals. It felt so nice. I've purged, I think, every single line from my head from that play. (laughs) It was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, oh, I I deserve like six level up for that. Would you do it again? Uh, Having that, so Adventure Scott, we should have, what, two months ago, you're like, here's my lines. And you handed me what what looked like a completed, you know, at the end of a year of high school, your notebook's just full. And literally every page was highlighted. You're like, I've got five weeks to learn all these. Would you do it again? Uh, I don't know if I would, it, it, it all depends if I'm like really into the play, if it's like a character I really want to play this mm-hmm. one here, I really didn't know that much about it. And they contacted me and they asked me if I was interested and did some stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, I jumped into it, but not really knowing everything that was going to go along with it. After it was all done, it felt great and everything. The final day, sure, we had a, a great show. It was basically the opening night was that dream, that that nightmare that people have that you get thrust on stage, but you forget all your lines. Oh, no. King, do you get paid so, for this? No, no. It's just community theater. Glutton for uh, punishment. So, yeah. I, I, <laughs> what's that? Glutton for punishment. Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. But it was an experience. Uh, There were parts where I would just have a glazed over look on my face. Like, I have no idea what line comes up next. Um, Anybody, anyone, (laughs) please help me out here. (laughs) And luckily, the cast helped me out and they were fabulous to work with. I imagine half the time the audience has no idea when someone gets held up because a seasoned crew knows how to like cue each other or, you know, tip off what the next thing might be to each other. And we, the audience, are none the wiser. I certainly hope so. (laughs) King, I had tickets. We were going to go. I think it was Friday night. I bought two tickets on Tuesday and we were going to go on Friday, right? But Sarah was sick. Yeah. Right. I go to work. uh, So Thursday morning before school, Sarah throws up like twice. And I did the temperature thing, but she wasn't getting the temperature. Everything seemed nominal. She's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I knew what was going on. She wanted to go into school because they were getting their recorder, right? She was all amped up to get this recorder. She's like, I can do it, dad. I'm good. I promise. So I gave her the benefit of the doubt, but I went to work with my phone handy. And I wasn't there for 20 minutes when I got a call from the school saying, you need to come and get your daughter. She is deathly ill. Oh, Get Sarah, come home, get a sitter, go back to work. And then I have to leave work early again because the sitter had to. Nevertheless, called off Friday because I had it. Oh, my oh. Lord. Dude, 
woke up in the morning and like I achieved liftoff. It, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up missing the show. As it turned, this is the first time I bought tickets to go see a King Scott production and I didn't get to see it. <laughs> oh, well, there, there'll be mothers. So don't worry. Did you say there will be mothers? There will be others, others, <laughs> others. Well, King, we got a busy episode today. So why don't we get right into some of the stuff that's uh, caught our eyes. I'm going to lead it off with Speakeasy. Speakeasy will transport you to the roaring 1920s during the era of prohibition. Manhattan was under the firm control of Lucky Lucky Luciano. It's Lu- Luciano? Luciano. A prominent mobster. To strengthen his grip on the territory, he implemented a well-structured system. He divided Manhattan into different districts, each assigned to a specific mobster responsible for handling their business operations. We've got an economic uh, mafia territory building game mechanisms here. Area majority, area influence, hand management, pick up and deliver, and it's Vital Lacerda. How about that? Yes. It's I know everything all the about Lacerda it. treatment. Everything about it sounds amazing. I really, really am excited to see this thing. You know, I get excited every time I see a Lacerda game, and yet I can acknowledge that their complexity is just out of the scope of what I enjoy. I like a good complex game, but you know, like through the ages is like it's mega complex. It's probably ranked about the same as something like on Mars. In fact, we're going to look it up through the ages. A new story of civilization. BGG weight rating 4.44 on Mars Ooh. 4.67. So quite comparable, quite comparable. Yeah. I love through the ages and I just... It took two games, and by the end of the second game, I was like, I think I'm starting to understand how to play this game. They're just, they're too complex for me. Yeah, I I still had to play that through the ages. You always talk about it, so i got to give that one to try yet. You know, you're on BGA all the time. Why don't we, why don't you and I, why don't we have some alone time? <laughs> oh, how about one night? Uh, here's what we'll do. Chris, she took a job. She's traveling for work now. Every uh, couple weeks, oh. she's following IndyCar racing. So she's going to be at all the racetracks for the next like two months. So one of these weekends oh, wow. when she's out of town, I'm going to have the evenings free again, like uh, like in the before times when we had just started the podcast. We can, <laughs> we can get on BGA. We'll play some through the ages, and we'll, we'll do a level back. I like that. I definitely like that. I want to give it a try. I've heard you talk about it, how much you love it. And uh, yes, I look forward to giving that a try. Next up, Trailblazer. The Arizona Trail is live on Kickstarter. It's going to have some time remaining as this episode airs. Just uh, thought that one was noteworthy. Haven't played the John Muir Trail and uh, was pretty pleased with that. Uh, My original thoughts, I thought it was an excellent game, but maybe two turns, two rounds too long. I'd be curious to see yeah. how Arizona switches it up. Martin Wallace has one up. Steam power. Did you get a look at this one? I glanced at it quickly. I didn't really get into it that closely. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know looking at the box, I was kind of intrigued by it because the artist is Aleth Walton. And I'm like, I wonder if that's a relation. But I doubt yeah. it. Well, our buddy, the Hungry Gamer Will Brown, is quoted on the Kickstarter. Did you, did you catch that one? <laughs> no, I did not see that. 
Yeah, on Kickstarter, prominently featured right on the front, this is a game that is exceedingly well-crafted. There are no extraneous parts, and it's very simple to play. I enjoyed it. It's very light. It's very easy, and I truly do think anybody could play this. Not my words. Those are the words of our dear friend, Hungry Gamer, Will Brown. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him. We'll have to pick his brain a little bit more to find out uh, the, the mechanisms within and what he liked about it. It's kind of, to me... It plays obviously quite differently than Ticket to Ride, but everything I'm seeing, it looks like it's kind of simple to play, and you're laying train tracks. This could be a king game. Yeah. Well, I just want to make sure that we, next one time we see him, I want him to give me the definition of extraneous. <laughs> Last one I want to go over, Hidden Leaders and Inaros <laughs> Fallen, both games that, uh, that we've talked about in the past. Hidden Leaders uh, in particular, I've played uh, a lot. That one saw uh, repeat oh, places. Yes. We got the, you know, we got our own copies afterwards. We've given a copy away. I still have one. We played it at Origins with Bernie and Will. They're in Alpha on BGA, so uh, hopefully in the near future, Adventures will have the chance to play that one some more. If you're an Alpha reviewer, on BGA, you could get on there and start testing it. So how do we become an alpha reviewer? You know this one, King? What is it? You have to play a thousand different games or? Holy smokes. No, 50. A hundred different games. 50. 50. Close. You got to play 50, 50 unique games on BGA. And then you can like you can click to sign up to be an alpha reviewer. And all that that means is that you have early access to the alpha games. Now, they may still have bugs. Part of playing them is uh, you kind of have this responsibility to when you run into a bug, report it. Your game might not finish. Like a scripting error could cause the game to, to effectively crash, right? Right. Um, so that's that's possible. That happened a bit when uh, Terraforming Mars or no, it was Planet Unknown. When that was still in alpha, we were testing that one around a little bit. And there were a few times where it was like, uh-oh, uh, it's not letting me do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're interested in becoming an alpha an alpha reviewer or an alpha tester uh, on BGA, that's the way to do it. Play 50 unique games, and then you have early access to things that are upcoming. And not everything in alpha actually makes it to beta and then for full release. Just thought that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, well, heck, I should be on there because I know I played more than 50 games on here. I got to like 48 when Ryan taught me how you become an alpha reviewer. So I quickly yeah. looked up like the easiest games. I was like, ooh, ooh I'm going to play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> I'm going to play checkers. <laughs> Just to pound out two more. All right, King, what you got? Uh, my copy of Sinjutsu is actually on a truck heading this way. Yes. Oh, it's been a long, strange journey for this one, but I'm so excited to finally get it. This was like really early on in the show when we had these guys on talking about it, mm -hmm. playing it. I, I mean, just so much fun. The guys are great. And it, it, it's no fault of any any of the designers or anything like that at all i i completely understand it's just a little frustrating whenever you go to pax and you could pick up your whole thing right there and you're still waiting for it for another two and a half months or so yeah. uh i ended up being the, one of the last 200 people to get their games is I think. that right I got mine about a week, well, two weeks ago, maybe. And I got, dude, it's got like the 3D terrain. So there's all the terrain tokens. And I'm like, screw that. I got the 3D terrain. And I got three extra packs. I got a couple of the play mats to go with it. Like, it didn't go all in. But I did get some extra stuff because those guys were cool. And that game was good. And I set it up and I was like, oh, I got I, I already know how to play this. And I was like, I really don't. I don't remember. Because it has been, I remember we did this, I want to say it was like September of, 22 
I no, think it was so. September of 21, and they were shooting for oh September my. 22. And in September 22, there was a, ah, man, you know, there, there's a hold up, you know, things got pushed back. We're hoping yeah. for quarter one, 2023. We got it in quarter one, 2024. Thank God those dudes are cool. <laughs> uh, you know, it is what it is. Like, like you said, I don't fault them. Uh, it's, yep. It does stink when you got to wait a little bit, but well worth the wait. And uh, when you get yours in, we'll set up and we'll do some some one-on-one action. Absolutely. I cannot wait to get that uh, game in here. Going to be heading up to the mountains this weekend for poker game. And this just might have to go along with me here and introduce some people at Senjutsu. Hell yeah. But next thing, last show that we talked about, we talked about, I talked about actually, Eve. Stop the, saying talked the about. Eve on... Yes, yes. <laughs> Eve Online is going to the board gamers. It's actually a thousand thirty percent funded. Good lord! I still look at this sometimes. They were originally looking for fifty four thousand euros to yeah. get this thing funded, but it ended up it's somewhere around five hundred forty three thousand euros or something like that. And it's one of those things where I know some people had talked about this before. You really got to wonder if people put in a low number for their Kickstarter, knowing it's going to be really popular, just so they can get in that it's funded in three minutes, posted up on the Kickstarter or something. I think sometimes they do that. I, I think for some, they just don't know. For some, they put in, this is the bare minimum that we need in order to break even or at least yeah. make some amount of profit. So they put, okay, we're not going to bother with this if we can't each walk away making... I don't know, we'll say 10,000 or five, you know, some amount of money, pay the artists and have some right. left over. And then I think some of them, they do it. Yeah. Like when a Zombicide launches, they know they're going to raise like 2 million bucks. Oh yeah. But they just set the goal arbitrarily low. That that does happen. So you mentioned this one last episode. At this point, Adventures, uh, it has ended. This ca- this uh, Kickstarter campaign's ended, but I'm sure they're going to have the late pledge options. This game looks so good. I never played EVE Online. But just looking at this has me all kinds of juiced up. You're talking about it and it's like, oh, I got to back this. Man, the base pledge is $140 for the the game, the stretch goals, and the EVE Online starter pack. The veteran pledge, which has the Titan expansion, Havoc expansion, Azariel, I think it's like, okay, so if you're going to back it, you back it Titan, right? Man, it's $240. That's just so much money for a game. And that doesn't even yeah. factor in shipping, which is inevitably going to be 50 bucks or something like that. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can do another $300 game. Plus, you and I, were at a point where we get in the big $300 game and it's like, when the hell are we going to play it? Oh, man, we really got to set aside like two weeks to get this on a show. <laughs> it took forever to get frustrated. I know. It's a rough one there. Mm-hmm. Another crazy thing that's going on right now is through Plaid Hat Games, Summoner Wars Online. So we have our own little group of people that we share messages with. Right now, this thing is blowing up with Will and Lena constantly talking trash to each other over their Summoner Wars games. <laughs> They're playing it, online. In the group chat, so we get to hear about it. My phone blows oh, up all day. Oh, I know, day. I know. I have no idea what's going on. And it's just right in the middle of something. Oh, man, I hate your dice. I'm going to come over there and beat you. What are you guys doing? I don't care. But they're having so much fun. I got to get on there and try this out as well, too. I I do enjoy Summoner Wars. I have the second edition version of it. Mm -hmm. It's a fun game. It's an oft-overlooked game, I think, a lot of times. But it's just an enjoyable little game. And I'd like to see how they do the online um, play. Implementation? That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. 
if anybody else plays Summoner Wars, yeah, check out for uh, Will and Lena over there, because they seem to be hanging out on there more than BGA almost anymore. Yeah, I played this one a long time ago with Jimmy, and I really liked it. He had the first edition, and uh, you know, it's one of those, if I'm going to play with everyone, I got to like make sure I understand the rules. I don't just want to go in blind, Mm -hmm. and I haven't had that day to sit down and read the rules and be like, all right, I'm in. It's really not that difficult a game. I'm going to stick it in my uh, game bag every time I go to Latrobe anymore. That's going to be with me, because I have probably eight different armies with it, with the expansions and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fun little game. You can knock out in 30 minutes. You feel like you're playing a miniatures game, but you're just doing it with cards. It works out really, really well. 12 millimeter goodness. I think I know oh, what this one's yeah. all about, but I don't understand it. Well, thinking about miniatures, you were saying about Eve, and you have all these different things adding on and all the spaceships. Well, Mantic Games, they're um, a little bit of an offshoot of ex-Games Workshop workers that had started their own game. Mm -hmm. They started Kings of War, which is really a a very cool little game. Now then, they're coming out with Epic Warpath. Now, this is... <laughs> this is something here that you can get into. I think it's like $112 for two armies to play with over 300 miniatures in this thing to play. Holy smokes. And oh. it's <sighs> 12 millimeters. So they're tiny little figures. But the great thing about it is you have these massive, massive battles on your table that you're playing. Where normally the uh, Games Workshop, the Warhammer games or whatever, you're have a few different units that you're playing and everything. You aren't doing really massive, massive things. This is like full company, platoons, everything else coming out of, uh, out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. And also it has a little guy involved with it that some people may know as Alessio Cavatori. Okay. And anything that he is on, I'm in. I mean, his game designs are fantastic. I've followed him ever since the before times with games workshop just great great designer this one here is really tickling my acquisition disorder to want and go and pick this up i mean it's it looks good it does look cool bunch of minute that just looking at the over the kickstarter page the minis look pretty cool i like that it's small scale because then they can make bigger units and they're not like absurdly big i wonder if you have to assemble them or if they come pre-assembled they're pretty much pre-assembled. Uh, if it's similar to Epic that Games Workshop had, all the Space Marines were just, they were 10 millimeter, actually. They were a little bit smaller. So you would have a, a big time there trying to paint those, paint the guns, paint the stripes on their shoulder pads and all that mm-hmm. kind of fun stuff. So they all came in one piece. You just had to glue them down on a little stand. That was it. And that's what it looks like on this here. The other thing that's really kind of cool is this is a combination of things where you have, there's a website out there, One Page Rules, and they have rules for all sorts of different war games. And it's like it says, One Page Rules. They make it easy for you. I saw this, oh, geez, probably 20 some odd years ago. Someone had taken the epic figures from Warhammer, put little tacks on the bottom of it, so they made a travel copy of Warhammer they could play in the car <laughs> while they're play traveling. Play it on a corkboard. That's brilliant. Yes, and I'm like, that is just freaking brilliant. Well, it looks cool. You going to back it? 
I don't know. I have it reminding me, so I don't know. I think it's 10 more days from the date we're recording here, so should be done the end of February, I think. So mm. I still have a little bit of time. Well, let me know what you do. You know what we could do? We could go in halves and each... Well, no, we don't We don't want to each keep an army, because then we could never play it with a buddy. <laughs> well, I don't know if many other people will be picking this one up, so it's kind of like... I'm going to go in, if I'm going to do anything, get two of them, paint them up, and then just have that on hand. So I I don't know. i got to feel this out and see if anybody else is interested. Hmm. Well, shortly after the sickness that gave me the colon exorcism that caused liftoff. <laughs> oh. All the while that I was sick that day. Dude, this was a 12-hour thing. Sarah was fine the next day. And me, come like midday Saturday, I was like... Oh, I'm fine. I'm good to go. Like, I am okay. Like, really okay. I could go run a mile if I wanted to. This was the birthday weekend, right? So the next day was that Twilight Imperium six-player oh. game. And this will be sort of where where we start the, uh, we'll start our little recent plays talk. Twilight Imperium six-player game, space opera, 27 different factions. Everybody gets one. And as we always do, I send everybody three to choose from leading up to it. So it, there's like this, we get the text chain going, we get a Facebook page going. So everybody's got their three and like slowly but surely the picks start coming in. Then we build the map and we roll for seating. So everyone knows when they get here what they're going to be doing, except for one person, one newbie that we had, my buddy Ben, who I, I've been acquaintances with for like 20 years, but we don't see each other that often. He's more of a mutual friend mm -hmm. of Mike's. All six factions ready to go. I got to play the Mentak Coalition for the first time. And they're kind of like the pirates. Uh, they want to see wheeling and dealing at the table because anytime somebody that you're adjacent to, one of your neighbors, does a deal, you can leech away one of their trade goods, right? And that's kind of their thing. They can also like make it mutually beneficial. Like, yeah, I stole from you, but here, let's each draw an action card. So you got to play nice. And Ryan, who ever since Risk Legacy five years ago... You stab him in the back once, Ryan doesn't forget. <laughs> Ryan doesn't forget. It might have been the second time I backstabbed him. It, it was over a game of uh, Cosmic Encounter. I think that, that that's where it all started. But he was my neighbor and he was Joel Nar. And I was like, look, you're very powerful. We don't want to fight each other. We got to float each other's boats, which is one of the cool things about Twilight Imperium. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. One of the promissory notes is you give this to someone else, they get a point, right? It, it, you only played a 10. So that's very, very powerful. And why would you do that? Well, sometimes somebody has a gigantic fleet next to you and you say, hey, you go attack Scott instead of me. I'll, I'll give you my uh, support for the throne. They call it, that's the card. Okay. I'll give you my support for the throne. You know, you can get a point. Just attack him instead of me. And then, oh, and then the other guy says, no, I'll do it. You know, and all the bickering starts happening. I'll throw it a trade good. <laughs> a good example of how you're supposed to negotiate in this game is like, for example, a uh, support swap whereby... I'll give you my support for the throne. You give me yours. We're neighbors. How do you lose it? Well, if I attack you, I have to give you your support for the throne card back. So I'll lose that point. So we have in, like we're incentivized now to share borders peacefully. I know that I can abandon this planet that's right next to you and you won't attack it because you'll lose your point. Most likely you won't attack it. So mm -hmm. we were kind of working together like, hey, man, let's let's. Let's let's keep this rolling. Let's let's work together. And we did. And it was working beautifully until he and I and one other were in a three-way tie for first place. Jeremy comes over with his gigantic fleet with Letnev. Nukes mine. Entirely blows me up, right? I got nothing left. But I do have a lot of money because I'm Mentac. So my next turn, I get to rebuild. And like literally the whole fleet pff, rebuilt 
within one turn. And that's that's the power okay. of a good economy and working together with a buddy. And then in comes Chris. <laughs> Chris played Muat. Muat starts with a war sun and they're techno they're like the fire people. They can they're the only ones in the game that can like land on the spot that contains the sun. And they're big hero, like their limit break, their big ability. Uh, every, every race has their one big thing that they can do. One of mine is like, when you use this hero, get rid of this card and any ship you kill in this fight, you get one for yourself. Ooh, okay. That's really good. Mm. It's a drain life on their whole. Chris's is basically nuke a spot, everything on it, and actually like remove that tile from the game and replace it with the supernova tile. It's literally a nuke. Just remove the tile from the game. Well, that rebuilt fleet, that's that's the spot that got nuked. I was like, Chris, you're on the other side of the board. I'm no threat to you. What are you doing? I just lost all my fleet and I just had to spend all my money. And he's like, I don't care. Uh, it's You're still tied for the lead. I was like, yes, but now everybody else is going to run away with it. And sure enough, that's what happened. And fortunately, as it turns out, Ryan, who I was buddying up with, won the game. Quick recap. It was a great celebration of the big 4-0 with uh, getting double nuked in Twilight Imperium. Well, it, it sounds like fun there. You had me a little bit scared whenever you said about, we had it all knocked out the 27, and I was waiting for 27-hour game sentence come out of your mouth. <laughs> no, we played it a pretty good clip. Uh, even with a new player there, he was able to, to grasp it pretty quickly. And he showed up like 20 minutes early, so I could give him the basics. And he's kind of a gamer, mm -hmm. so he got it. Twilight Imperium, notoriously, six players can run anywhere from like six to ten hours. We were done in, right. uh, I want to say, seven, seven and a half maybe. We started at 11, okay. and we finished around six. Okay. Yeah, not too good bad. Game. Not too bad. Not enough to, to in, entice me into playing it, but not too bad. You mean playing it again? Well, I'm going to get you. <laughs> what you got, King? Mine is a little bit different. Mine is not on the big scale. Mine is more on a little city scale. I got a chance, since I was busy with rehearsals and everything, just to play a solo game. So I got out Under Falling Skies. Mm -hmm. Now, this came out in 2020. It's from Czech Games Edition. And let's see if I can get this here. The designer is Tomas Ulhir. Sold. Okay, no one said anything else, so I'm going to say that's the way it, it's pronounced from now on out. Mm. But in this, you're basically playing Space Invaders, the board game. You have a mothership that is coming down upon your city. You start off with Roswell, but in the game, you have about 15 different cities you can play. Mm -hmm. Plus, there are three different packs that build onto a campaign of everything that's building on with little like comic books that go on the top of the rules for each uh, additional set that you put into it, which really makes this game a lot of fun. There are four different tiles that you put out, goes from basically the highest point in the atmosphere down to right above the, the top of the city. On this, you have five columns that go down the whole way down along the side mm -hmm. and then you have a mothership that you put up there a little cardboard uh piece that you put on the top and you put five of their fighters on the bottom of it each turn it's going to drop down a little bit further or there are spaces on those columns where they show the mothership where it could drop down a little bit further Whenever this happens you have things along the side little icons that will show you oh wait there's another fighter that's coming out Oh, wait, you know your little excavator that's clearing out underground to give you more places to fight, which I will get into more detail here a little bit later. 
that tunnel just collapsed and you have to move your excavator back two spaces. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build this underground base in order to get scientists in there to investigate how to defeat the aliens. Mm -hmm. You are trying to get jets up there into the sky to destroy the interceptors that are coming out at you. You have an excavator that's building a little bit deeper. You have anti-aircraft guns that are slowing down the interceptors that are coming down lower. So all this is done, you have to roll dice in order to make this work. You have five dice you you play with. Now, there are the other colored dice there with different robots and things, but I'm just going with the basic game. Okay. You have three gray dice and two white dice. You roll all the dice. All right. So you have a bunch of numbers to put them down onto the different spaces. First of all, you have anti-aircraft guns. You can place one of those die on there and that will slow down the interceptors by one. You have the fighters. Whenever you put a die down in there, so you put down a six, any interceptor that's on an explosion that is six or under gets destroyed. Hey, all right. It's it's looking pretty good for the humans here. You have uh, spaces for the scientists where you put the number down in there and it moves up a number of spaces along the left-hand side of the board, mm -hmm. showing that you're getting a little bit closer to understanding the aliens and how to defeat them. And then you also have uh, the excavator that will dig a little bit deeper and open up more spots for you in order to get energy, get more hangars to put jets in, to get more areas for scientists to go, all that kind of stuff there. Now, the interesting thing is whenever you place the die down, all right, I got a six on the jets. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to clear the board of anything that's on an, on an explosion. I feel like there's a butt well, coming. Oh, there's a, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a butt. But that interceptor will drop down six spots closer to you. Ooh. So you need to kind of look at it and think, all right, I have an explosion three spots down from where they're going to be. I have a three. I could put it on the jets there, but it's a four that I need to destroy. It. So that's not going to work. Maybe I'll put it here. It's all this give and take of you have a great number to put in there to really make you successful at something, but then you also have to deal with the interceptors coming down quicker to you. So it's a real give and take here how things are going. Relatively simple game to get into playing, but there's a lot of little like puzzle elements in this to figure out what's going to be the most beneficial thing for you to do. I put a picture up on um, uh, Instagram a couple of nights ago. I am not successful on uh, keeping aliens away from our wonderful blue planet here. They destroyed me thoroughly. But the great thing about it is I just wanted to go back and do it again because it's not a long game. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And it's nice and easy to play for one person. I like the idea that every action that you take is counterbalanced by the strength of that die, allowing for the aliens to get to move a little bit closer and more efficiently. Scott, is this a solo-only game? It is a solo-only game, yes. The great thing about it is you have so much flexibility with this. The setup of the board, you have four separate pieces, like I said, that show like the highest part of the atmosphere all the way down to the ground. Well, each one of these pieces can be flipped over to make that one piece a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. So you could have three easy and one difficult. 
you could feel a little bit better and get three difficult and one easy. Too easy, too difficult. However you want to do it, wherever you want to do it. So you got a lot of flexibility with this game. I mean, with the expansions, the number of boards you have. Oh, God, I can't think of it really off the top of my head right now. The number of different ways you can play this and not have the same game each time. Because you're doing one of the difficulties a little bit higher. You're doing a different city. You might not be doing Roswell. Maybe you're doing New York City. Maybe you're doing Washington, D.C. You've got all sorts of different things to, to play with here. But really, a very, very interesting little game. I picked it up on a print-and-play early on, mm-hmm. and then whenever I saw it was coming out as an actual game, I, it was no question I had to pick it up right away. Yeah, and the price is right. They, I'm seeing on the website, CG's got it for 30 bucks. Yeah, it's definitely worth 30 bucks. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm-hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5, L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. King, you had one job. I gave you one assignment. I know, I know. (laughs) What was that noise? Did you just like drop a bunch of silverware? That was my uh, metal straw in my iced coffee. You have iced coffee? That's fancy. Oh, yeah. We got an iced coffee maker here. I tasked you with playing Killer Mystery, but you have been quite busy. I passed this one off to you after my wife and I had uh, had, had finished playing around with this. So I'm sitting on the couch, probably eating Doritos, and my phone blew up from this dude named Jason. Jason put together a murder mystery game that's done via subscription boxes, like in the mail, the old-fashioned mail, the postal service. (laughs) Intrigued, I promptly messaged Jason back a few spicy pictures of myself to see if he'd be interested in taking our relationship to the next level, but we opted to keep it simple and just try out the game. Let me start by saying I've never done one of these murder mystery type things, never did a murder mystery dinner, barely played any of the exit and unlock games. Heck, I've never even done an escape room. So my, oh my we should do that in Knoxville. We should see if there's an escape room. <laughs> So my ability to deduce motives and solve puzzles is is green, which had me all the more excited to give this thing a go, right? Fast forward a mm-hmm. week or two later, and there it was, the front door, this package filled with big old envelopes with sweet neon retro feels that said the 80s were killer. This is the first box that you would receive if you sign up for this, this particular season, right? So I plan to do this over the course of a few nights with my wife. And the first night, we opened up the first envelope, which gave us all sorts of information, pictures, stories 
jewelry, cards, postcards. Basically, it laid out the framework of the case that we were going to be involved with. Now, importantly, okay. there's a welcome envelope that lays out what to expect and how to approach solving the mystery of the length of the subscription, including the well-made suggestion of taking a bunch of notes and keeping scenes and characters in order as you go along. Uh, no need to get into this story, uh, but I, I do want to point out that along with standard story clues, they include little puzzles like decoding secret messages. One in particular that stood out used a bunch of little like space invaders figures, uh, 80s theme, right? Okay. Each corresponding with a letter. And you'd have to like, oh, okay, so this letter is an A. Oh, put the A over here. And you know, you fill it out to decode the message. They also make use of uh, QR codes to include some video Ooh. from their website, some extra pictures, that sort of thing. And I'm guessing that other packages and the overarching story that is this particular mystery, the 80s were killer, are going to have some other interesting puzzles and media incorporated as well. So Chris and I, we spend uh, like an hour each night connecting the dots and trying to determine who the killer is. And at the end of the third night, when we were done with that box, we didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> but we scanned the QR code to see if we could maybe guess. And it asked us just one question. And that was if a particular weapon was used in the murder. I'll just say rope. Correctly, we said no. And that was that. It said, well, good Ooh. job. Here's looking forward to next month. Which is when it promptly dawned on us that, oh, this isn't the entire mystery in the first box. This oh. is a five-month subscription. I actually messaged Jason. I was like, so that was like the first chapter. He's like, yes, it's a five-month subscription, like a campaign. It's not five standalone mysteries within one subscription, but five chapters in an overarching story. Oh, wow. So it's like. There's a lot of time and effort put into this first box. The The character development is there. It's interesting. It's pretty well written. And a bunch of the main characters that we learn about, they have a motive of some sort. So I guess one of the worries that you have, especially whenever it's not like – we'll say whenever it's someone that I'm not aware of. Like if it's Hasbro coming out with this sort of thing, you know they had a 100 different eyeballs looking at that game to make sure that it's not too easy. Tested a billion times, that sort of thing. The worry is, is this going to be too easy? Is this going to feel like a, like a kid wrote it? And no, it's, it's very well done. I was really intrigued by the story and it left me wanting more, which in a subscription case is probably a good thing. I will say uh, for this specific chapter and likely any given chapter, seeing as how it's a campaign, I didn't get the sensation of having a big breakthrough moment, right? It was more like little mm -hmm. bits of information, like piecing together the hints that we were given. Uh, again, left me wanting more. If there's a downside, it it probably lies with me. Uh, and I think that I'm finding that in my gaming, I like to see quick rewards. Take an action, a thing happens. This is a slow burn. Right. I think some okay. folks are going to go nuts for this. The puzzles, the cryptograms, that sort of thing. I think like it says uh, on the website, they have a fully fleshed out website, uh, killermystery.com. And on there, they give like suggestions like dim the lights, get in character, be detectives, you know, and I could see like put, putting up a cork board. Now I'd end up like Charlie from uh, Always Sunny with all the, the yarn going from <laughs> pin to pin to pin, right? The price, uh, the website's live, so you can get this game ordered today. Again, it's killermystery.com. The standalone box that we did is 29 bucks, as in one chapter, right? And you need five. Uh -huh. So the season pass that gets you all five months, 125 bucks, right? That's not cheap. Okay. 
But the first chapter, it took my wife and I maybe an hour and a half a night times three nights. So that's like 15 hours of entertainment for 29 bucks, right? And what's to stop you from having four people playing together? Obviously, it's going to be a little pricier if you're going solo. Okay. Now, you said this was like 80s themed. Now, do they have other themes that they're doing as well? Or is it just this one that they have right now? Uh, for right now, you know, as far as I can tell, I probably should have asked Jason, but as far as I can tell right now, the only thing that I'm seeing on the website all pertains to the 80s war killer. So I'm guessing that that's like their initial launch. They're going to see if it gets okay. traction. And I'll tell you what, their Facebook page, 17,000 followers. So I wouldn't be surprised oh, wow. if this does get a – yeah, you know what? I think it, it's got a little bit of like – cross uh cross appeal like you don't have to love playing tabletop games like you don't have to love brass in order to enjoy this sort of thing this is going to get people that maybe aren't in the same tabletop realm you know a little bit of crossover going on there so this could pick up a good bit of steam looking at the exit games and the oh god what are the other ones um unlock unlock those are quite small A lot of times they're just hand drawings and everything, but this here, it looks like you're actually getting a police file Mm -hmm. that you're going through. Just that detail to it, not even to mention all the work that goes in behind here to tie all the links together to make it all one big thing. That's really a, a, a huge accomplishment on, on the behalf of these guys. And yeah, next week, my wife and I, we're going to find a killer. Yeah, look it up, Adventures. That's uh, KillerMystery.com. The first campaign appears to be The 80s Were Killer. It's live. You can get this in the mail, have it in two weeks, and start solving some mysteries. Yeah, I'm excited about giving that one a try. All right, King, you're up. Okay, well, this one was one that I got from you, but then I also had a copy myself. So I have two copies of it, but... I have a, an expansion that came. No, wait, 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 wait. Why did you want my copy? You were like, hey, I'll take that. You already have a copy. You just wanted the expansion. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yep. So what it is is Space Hulk Death Angel. It's It came out from Fantasy Flight Games and designed by Corey Kineska. This is one of those games from Games Workshop, uh, Space Hulk, which was like a grail game. No one could find it. They had put it out one time with the miniatures and then poof, it was gone. Mm -hmm. And then it came back a number of years later. But in that in-between time, they came out with Death Angel, the card game. Now, this game here is basically what a Space Hulk is. is not a giant green guy dressed up in a uh, spacesuit flying through space or anything. A Space Hulk is just a huge, dilapidated spaceship just floating uh, a derelict through the universe. Upon these, well, there are these little things called Tyranids, or gene stealers, if you will, that hide out in there. So space marines have to go in there and basically be interstellar... Exterminators? uh, Exterminators. It's like Terran versus Zerg in StarCraft. Yes, yes. Well, they're not exterminators, but in this game, they're Terminators. So what you do is you set up a different number here. You can play this from one to six players. I prefer playing it one player. Okay. This is another solo game that I really enjoy. You get three different teams of Space Marine Terminators. So there's two te- two Terminators on each one of those teams. 
each team has three actions they can do each turn. It could be move, it could be activate a room that they're next to, or it could be attack. What you're doing is you set up a column of your space marines, and mm -hmm. there are little arrows on either side showing which way they're facing. Up at the very top, you have the area where you're going into. You would just have one card that says entryway. Okay, or no, void lock. Void lock it is. So you're going into the void lock. Your guys are all lined up. And out come the gene stealers. And you have to uh, take care of them. Now, what's really interesting is you cannot take the same action twice. All right. And you need to work with your team's together to destroy all the gene stealers the gene stealer may come up behind you well you're facing the other way how are you going to take care of it well you may have to play a card to flip that guy over or maybe another person will have a range that's going a little bit further that can try and take that out mm -hmm. that is much easier said than done i have lost more games of this game <laughs> than I like to share. It is extremely, extremely tough to win this game. The Gene Steelers just come out and they overwhelm you from the get-go. It is such a difficult game, but it is so well done and it's such an interesting mechanic that you use in this that makes you come back to this game over and over and over again. And that expansion that you had in there gives you two more teams to, to add in there. Mm -hmm. So you've got your chaplain, which is just like, I love the chaplains in Warhammer because basically they are going to pray for you and then beat the ever-loving snot out of you with their big um, <laughs> hammer, basically. Chaplains are just so cool. And then the other one, oh, oh a, a um, cyclone missile launcher. So that one's kind of another one where you kind of scratch your head thinking, why do I want a cyclone missile launcher inside of a tight spaceship? But then, hey, they're space marines. Why what not? Yeah, why not? But uh, this game is very difficult to find and extremely difficult to find the expansions. But it is so, so very much worth it. If you are a solo player, if you are a Warhammer player, try and track down a used copy somewhere. It is just so much fun to play, so enjoyable to play. Um, I, I can't say more about Death Angel. It is just an absolute joy to play this game, even though you know from the outset you're probably going to lose. I tell you, it looks cool on the table. For being a card game, it, the artwork's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. And it's something that, bring it with me, and we can play a two-player version of it, and I now, can show you how that? to play it in no time flat. And I'm sure Tom would probably play as well, too. And guess what? I, you said uh, I, I didn't have the dice and the tokens to go with that expansion and base game that I provided you. They were yep. in a separate little container, and I found the container, so I'll bring that with me on Thursday. I already put it in the bag. Oh, that is Space Marine Death Angel. King, one more before we get on with the 8-bit breakdown of World Wonders. We had a chance to play Grew the Game. Grew the Game, this was provided by Steven Jackson Games. Now, I didn't write up much for this, so we're just going to go right off the cuff. Uh, Grew's a comic book of some sort. Uh, Grew the yes, Wanderer. Yes, it is. Uh, I'll go, this is my. Uh, this is just off the top of my head. Gru the Wanderer is a fantasy slash comedy comic book character created by Sergio Ar Argon Argonas Argon. I don't know how to Sergio say this. Sergio Argonas. Basinger. 
His stories are written and drawn by Argones. Dialogued and edited, well, we don't need all that. Gru is among the first widely successful creator-owned comic creations, one of the few successful humorous series in the United States, and is one of the longest-running collaborations in comic history, which I actually learned from you. Well, and the fun thing about this is, if anybody remembers looking at old Mad Magazines, they would have, well, first of all, Sergio Argonis would do a lot of the artwork in there, but a lot of times you would see little bits of artwork down at the very bottom of the page or inside the center uh, line where they put the staples on and everything. He did a ton of that artwork in there as well, too. Is that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we had the chat. I played Gru with Jason and Mike and Jason's wife. We played it here in the basement. Then I took it to Philly because I was like, look, we're going to play this one for the show. So that first evening, the four of us sat around the uh, that nice table and we played some gr- nice table. It was like the sink slash countertop, but it was marble <laughs> and it was perfect for playing a board game. It's like they knew who was going to be there. We played Gru the game. And the way that you play Gru the game, this is a remake of a game from like 97, right? That is an old game. And mm-hmm. Steven Jackson has basically updated it and reprinted it. He got buildings and you got warriors and you've got these event cards all in a big old deck and everybody's going to draw some cards and on your turn you take seven dice six of which provide resources coins labor uh and food i think what no, and supplies coins uh coins labor and supplies and you roll those six dice along with the seventh which tells you where grew the wanderer is going to go which i understand grew is like this beefy kind of knuckle-headed barbarian that just destroys everything in his path, right? So the Gru card starts in front of someone. You roll the dice, and whatever the supplies that are showing, those are your resources to play cards in your hand. You might play buildings, which are worth points, or you might play warriors, which will protect your buildings and attack other people's buildings. Whatever resources you don't use, the player to your left can use. So I rolled my six dice, and I spent what I could, and I have, a, I have a coin and a labor left over. Play passes to my left, where you, king, are like, oh, hey, I can play this card using that coin and that labor. Cool. My turn? Yeah, okay. And I pass the dice to you, and play will go around the table. But what's that seventh die going to do? That's the one that moves grew. Sometimes he'll sit put, sometimes he'll move two to the left, whatever. But the importance there is some of those event cards are things like Whoever's uh, currently holding Gru, they lose two of their buildings, their choice. Whoever's currently holding Gru, they got to discard their hand, right? It's it's very Steven Jackson-y in that like wacky things can happen to whoever's holding Gru. That's the hook <laughs> of the game. And it's tacked onto the game itself, which is actually pretty darn cool. It's, it's rolling the six dice. It's playing your cards out with your resources. I love that whatever you don't use passes to your left. can be frustrating when you have like a whole bunch of cards that need labor and coin and you roll a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of supplies and it's like, damn it, I can't do anything with that. So what are we trying to do in the game? <laughs> You're trying to get seven points worth of buildings and have them there at the start of your next turn. That's it. And the purpose of the warriors in front of you is after you've rolled your dice, you may opt to attack someone. So if I've got a guy with, uh, we'll say, three strength of attack power and I want to attack Jason across the table, he might defend with one of the characters that he has in front of him and both both his and mine will die. Or if he doesn't have a character, he opts not to defend. I get to destroy that much power's worth of buildings. Three power. Okay, kill that one worth two and that one worth one. Ha <laughs> ha. Knocked you down a few pegs. And then play <laughs> will go to the next person. Simple, elegant, fun. 
Not highly strategic. Definitely not a uh, play your way into the win. Things just kind of happen. But you know what? It's about a 15, 20-minute game. And for that, I think this is a pretty good little filler. What do you think of Grew the Game? I agree with a lot of what you said there. Whenever you said, oh, it's a Steve Jackson game, right away my mind goes to, oh, God, it's another Munchkin. I am not a fan of Munchkin at all, period, end of story. So I was worried right from the get-go. But playing this, the dice really add that extra little bit to make this a fun game. Mm -hmm. I did have a good time. I haven't read a Gru comic at all, ever. But still, I just had fun with the characters. I had fun with the cards. Everything that's written down on the cards, you kind of get an idea of the story. It's silly. It's a wonderful filler game to get in between while you're waiting for everyone to get done with their games. I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with Grew the Game. You know what I would say? That's kind of my assessment, too. Pleasantly surprised. My first reaction, and I hate to say this, is when I hear Steven Jackson, I think, oh, no, it's you know, Munchkin. You know, we've graduated from this sort of game. This one's a nice filler. And, you know, sometimes you need a game where you, it's not going to be like the person that thinks the hardest or is the most strategic is going to win. Sometimes you just right. need a game where stuff happens. So you get a good chuckle about it. Some of those buildings work well together. Some of, some of them are like, well, if you have this one and that one, they each get a plus one. Or one of the warriors will say, well, you know, th this guy's stronger if you've got a barracks. So you start looking for barracks. Like there's reason to search for certain cards. But at the end of the day, sometimes the game just happens to you. And it's silly mm -hmm. fun. I like to oh, yeah. brew the game. Absolutely. Hey there, buddy. It's nice to have him here when it's just the two of us. That's it, it, true. I feel like I don't have to share him. That's weird. It got weird. At first, I thought that was endearing, <laughs> and then it got weird. Top 100 debuts, Raiders of the North Sea is back in. They raided their way Woo! back into the top 100, sitting at spot 100. Top 10 trends. We have a shift. Terraforming Ooh. Mars, which I think was once number three at its peak, is down one yeah. to number seven. Ooh. Dune Imperium up to number six. Yeah. I like both of those. That's a toughie for me to say one one over the other. But hey, six and seven, it's basically interchangeable. They're both in the top ten. New highest peaks, Dune Imperium, of course, at number six. Cascadia is up to number 44. Heat pedal to the metal at 45. Cthulhu Death May Die, which I've said in just about every episode for the last six months. It works its yeah. way up to number 61. Grand Austria Hotel up to 66. Obsession Keeps Climbing up to number 69. Oathsworn into the deep wood at number 85. Happy birthdays, just one of them. The search okay. for Planet X, one year. And I had that in my bag for our meetup, and I didn't get a chance to play it. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a big fan of that one. It's definitely a lot of fun. He has a new one, uh, In Search of the Lost People, I think it is. Like, you're looking for aliens or something like that. Uh -huh. Trying to track them down, very lots of the same mechanics. And actually, I believe he's going to be at Fun K Town. No, the designer. I think so. Yes, King, reach out to him. We could we could play uh -huh. it ahead of time. Oh my, yes, definitely. So you had a lot of fun with the search for Planet X, but today we're going to give the 8-bit breakdown to our review game, World Wonders. Was it a lot of fun for us? Find out after this intriguing and wildly entertaining walkthrough from King Scott. Hey adventurers, King Scott here, and time for our 8-bit breakdown 
of World Wonders. World Wonders designed by Z. Mendez, published by Arcane Wonders, and released in 2023. Now, we also want to suggest that Arcane Wonders kindly provided a copy for review. Now, what if you were a ruler of a land? What if you could place wonders of the ancient world anywhere in order to entice people from the world over to come to your land? That is what you will do in World Wonders. Each player will get a player board showing them how many resources and population they have, a turn marker, and a map board. Said you're going to make a glorious land, you have to start somewhere. Each turn, players have a choice of actions to take. Purchase a long road tile. Purchase a set of road tiles, three smaller tiles. Build a tile while paying the gold price for it. Purchasing a tower. Purchasing the first or second player turn order. Or purchasing a monument. Reading this one last is not by accident, as I'll explain shortly. Each item that you place on the board can only be placed next to certain things. Road tiles can only be placed next to road tiles, the sidewalk, the edge of the board, and road tiles may be placed next to towers. Towers may seem inconsequential, but are quite important in this game. How do you connect monuments and tiles? Well, I never said you couldn't place them next to roads, just cannot do it the other way around. As you build items, you will be taking away from your goal total for the round. You only have so much, so be careful on your spending. Monuments, though, have an interesting price. It's whatever you want to pay. Sounds good, huh? Well, the special rule on this is that once you purchase a monument, your turn is over and all of your remaining gold is spent. Do you grab the monument you want and end your turn quickly, or do you wait and hope it is still available when your turn comes back? The game continues until either one player has reached the end of their population track or 10 rounds have been completed. All the tiles will be gone. Hmm. It's like the designer planned it that way or something. Scoring points will come from your monuments, city districts, the tiles, that are surrounded on all sides, natural resources, special spots on your map, and special spots on the end of the population track. Resources. What about the resources? Well, that is another interesting part of this. You will score points equal to the lowest resource on your map. So if your food and ceramics and gear markers have a total of 5, 9, and 7, you will only score 5 points. Keep an eye on your production. Well, that is a quick rundown of World Wonders. Let's check in with Patrick and his little plot of land and see what he has to say about the game. If you're a polytheist, you should be thanking Zeus for all the Greek achievements that they've passed down to you. Because you got democracy from the folks in Athens. Our alphabet is from the Phoenicians. Minons and Mycenaeans work at the sailing trade. Round and Acropolis, they build a city-state. Hey, thanks, King, for the walkthrough of today's review game, World Wonders. Adventures, as you know, we like to review our games in eight bits, eight facets of this game, starting with the art and components and finishing with Was It Fun and Who's It For? Art and Components, King, this is a bit of the highlight of the game, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is, most definitely. The art and components to this game, they're nice. They're not earth-shattering, but they take you back to that time when you just started getting into board games. 
all the components are made of wood and the wonders are all in the same shape of what they are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is a game that they felt was a good game and didn't need to upgrade to all the bells and whistles and resin statues and all that other kind of stuff there and just let the game stand on its own with the nice wooden pieces and everything that they get in the game here. Yeah, agreed. That's kind of what I said. You know, at its core, this is a simple tile placement game whereby you purchase tiles and you place them according to where they fit in your city. The tile artwork is, I mean, it's small and simple enough. They each have a slightly different color, but nobody's looking at the tiles going, ooh, the artwork, right? Um, <laughs> it could have been all tiles. You don't need those wooden 3D monuments, but they right. make the board pop. I think that I think that decision to do something to make the game a little bit more tactile, something that's going to catch some more eyes, I think that was a really good decision. Because otherwise, otherwise it would feel awfully simple. You know what it kind of reminds me of is the first time you play Carcassonne and you're like, oh, the t- I mean, the, the tiles are just tiles. There's nothing pretty right. about them. But then it was like, oh, what's that little guy? Look at that. What is it? It's called a meeple. That's, and it <laughs> felt like, oh, that's kind of neat. This is deluxe. It wasn't a little plastic peg like in the game. Sorry. It was something right. different. Here they they made that decision to give a 3D element to the game and I think it served it really well. Otherwise, it's definitely got a classic Euro feel, huh? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Hey, adventurers, Patrick here from the editing booth. Hey, if you're hearing like a little like screechy sound, that's my microphone. That's not your speaker. I apologize. We pride ourselves in giving you the best sound quality with every episode. Just had some issues with the mic with this one. It goes through the 8-bit breakdown and the look back, but we actually re-recorded the back half of the episode to make up for it. I'm going to hold off on doing pause of duty until next episode on account of microphone issues. Stick with us, though. We got a giveaway at the end of the episode. Back to it. Bit number two's theme and immersion. Oh boy. Well, uh, <laughs> you're trying to get shapes in the right spaces to allow you to get special wooden <laughs> shapes into the right spaces to score points. It has three trackers, population, uh, wealth, whatever they are. They're just potential point scoring tracks. They could have been named A, B, and C. They tie it into like a, a civilization type of theme, but this is very much a spatial relations tile game. I don't know that anybody's getting immersed into what we have going on thematically. I mean, you got the pyramids right next to the Easter Island heads, right next to, I don't know, the, the Roman bridge. I don't I don't know my monuments. <laughs> Pretty much, I hit the same exact thing here. I like the theme that you're trying to build these great wonders to attract the residents to your land. You want to get all the resources to score points. But immersion is not there. I I can't even squint enough to believe that there is a land that has the Colosseum nearby the Great Wall of China right across from (laughs) the pyramids of Giza. Why not? This is not a game you're going into to make a story. You just want to stretch your mental muscles whenever you're playing this game. That's the whole idea of this game. Right. And again, I think it's all the better that they made that decision to give you the little wooden pieces because without them, like if they were just tiles, which they could have been, I don't know that anybody would give the game a a second shake because there is a good game underneath those neat, cute little pieces. Yes. And and the wooden pieces definitely add to the whole idea whenever you look at it and you see like, I built this whenever you're done. That's just photogenic. Yes. Bit number three is the complexity. Why don't you take the floor? This game is not very complex. The rule book is eight pages long. Mm. Two of them are describing the wonders that are in there. One of them shows the components of what's inside the box. 
And also, one page goes through advanced play, and another page is for solo rules. So really, you're looking at a game that's about three pages of rules. So it's not very complex, but you still have to make those decisions as to where you want to put the tiles, what tile is going to be the best for you to use at a certain time. But mm -hmm. that I'm going to get into it a little bit more in the meat of the game, a little bit further down this list. What did you think about the complexity? Likewise, it's quite simple. The turn is as simple as uh, paying for a tile or roads and placing them, which is easy. Uh, it's got a little bit more thinking than some other tile placement games, mainly in that you've got to envision the monument that you're trying to acquire, right? So there's a market of monuments, and each of them have certain placement rules and restrictions. So I've got to envision like, okay, I need a water space, and I need it to end on a water space, but on the third space of this four space monument, I need there to be land. So you've got to kind of like think ahead. What do I want to – what do I want to cater to? And I need to build out my map and place my tiles in that way. But that's kind of the extent of it. You already started touching on the rule book. Uh, it's relatively small but with several different modules and descriptions. All in all, good rule book? Yeah. The, the rule book explains everything very, very easily. A lot of examples for you to take a look at. The rule book is very well put together. I, I have really no qualms about it whatsoever. What do you think about the learning curve of learning the game? I, was, I mean, just not that much to it. There's a few things going on that, that give this game a little bit of an X factor. One, the market of, of the monuments that are available, they're available for everyone. So you've got to wrap your head around the fact that like, yeah, I need to cater to being able to position this one, but it's a race. What if I don't get this one? Is there something else that I can also cater to? What Like, do all of them require a water spot? Okay, well, then I better make sure that I have a water spot available for that. Do all of them need to be next to a road, for example? Like, your brain has to start thinking that way. Also, mm -hmm. in the learning curve, that whole concept of when you take a monument, that's it. You're done for the round. So that race, that element, that's the hook. That Honestly, that's where the game is here is if we're both able to build the Roman aqueduct, we've got to make that decision like, could I take another tile? Yeah, King's going to take my aqueduct, but I could do three other things this turn. I'll lose out on the aqueduct, but he's done for the turn. He's done for the whole round. I, I like that. I like that element whereby you basically – I want to say shoot the wad <laughs> – <laughs> you basically like you put all your eggs in that basket and that's it. You're done for that round and you got to wait until next to be able to do something. That's cool. That's uh, the other part of the learning curve. It's like, okay, you've got to wrap your head around that. Aside from that, this is a, a very, we'll say casual gamer friendly game. So where's the meat in it, King? You have uh, seven gold pieces in order to purchase your tiles or your wonders. And what you're going to do is you're going to buy a road for a gold piece. You're going to buy a four square tile for three gold pieces or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the whole key here. Whenever you buy wonder, you can buy wonder for one gold piece. You could buy wonder for seven gold pieces. And there's no set price for those. But once you buy, purchase that thing, boom, your turn is over. Your money's and gone. You can't do anything else. That is such an interesting way of doing things here that, yeah, you're looking at it and you play your thing. You're getting everything set up, but you see those pyramids of Giza sitting there and you know that, Patrick, you have everything set up for it, but is he going to go for the other piece or is he going to go for that? 
I still have five bits of money. I could still add on a couple more things mm-hmm. before I go for that wonder. It's just that mental game that goes on in your mind. Like, do I really want to push my luck just that little bit further? And I think that's the neat thing, too, is that it takes the idea of pushing your luck a little bit further than just your typical push your luck of rolling dice, picking them back up, rolling them again, picking back up. You're kind of playing a game of chicken with the other player. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think that is just such a unique thing there that the wonders don't have a price. They're just your last turn. What you want to do it. When do you want to do it? It's such a neat timing aspect of the game. Definitely, that's where the meat lies. I think also when you're buying the tiles, there's three advancement tracks, as we said, and there's some endgame point scoring based on where you're at on those tracks. The simple math is you, you buy a tile for two bucks, it's got one symbol. Three bucks has two symbols. Five bucks has four symbols. So mathematically, you're getting more bang for your buck. Oh, God, no pun intended. If you're buying a <laughs> tile that costs five, because then each symbol effectively costs you a, a buck and a quarter each. Uh, yeah, is my a buck twenty, whatever, a buck and a quarter. I work at a bank, King uh, Adventures. It's late. You get more bang for your buck whenever you're buying the bigger tiles. So that's not that hard to to figure out. But there is some meat there. You want to buy the right tiles, but you also want to be efficient with your spending. Absolutely, though, the hook of the game is that when you opt to buy a monument, you could do it first thing at the start of your turn. And all your gold, yep. you have seven gold at the beginning of every round. And that's what you use basically to take your actions. If your first action is buy a monument, it costs all your gold, whether that's seven pieces left or no gold left. It's the last thing that you happen to do. That's the magical Christmas. And that's the green, the, the dream play. That's where the meat in this game is, is figuring out when to do that. And I got to say, that makes for a really cool experience at three and four players, but that makes it pretty remarkable at two also, because that's when mm-hmm. it's heads up. When I gain, you effectively you know, lose. When when I lose something, you effectively gain. And I like that in a game. And the other thing that's cool, too, is whenever you take that wonder, another wonder comes out. And you could be like, you just built uh, the, the Roman Colosseum. Boom. I got that. That's awesome. And just flipped over. And now then there's the Lighthouse of Alexandria. It's, oh. I had the perfect spot for that, and I can't do anything. I'm just sitting here watching the other player just mm-hmm. run off with points and everything now. And it's it, it, it really kind of – that's such a neat aspect of this game. Bit number six, we talk replayability and variability. King, we went through all of the monuments, which isn't a bad thing because each monument has different requirements. But I kind of feel like by play number 10 or so, you're going to start to know some of the tendencies of different requirements. Like water monuments need a certain number of spaces of water with green on each side. Like, like if you go into it knowing what the four or five water monuments feature – Man, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage going on. If you see them early, like, oh, I know that there's five monuments with water and three of them are in the opening market. And the other two players snag them up. Well, then maybe I'm not going to worry about water monuments. I'm going to start catering towards the, you know, I, I don't need libraries or whatever it might be. Like at some point, it almost feels like you'll see behind the curtain often enough that you can game the system a little bit. Now, that's okay, so long as the folks you're playing with are on the same skill level, same experience level, I guess. But otherwise, I could see the game running its course after a dozen plays or so. King, there's player powers in there. 
in the optional rules, weren't there like some player power, something along those lines? Yes. Yes, there are. There are other cards that you can play that will give you different objectives to accomplish. There are different rules that you have for different players. Plus also the player maps that you have, they're all double-sided. And Mm -hmm. the one main one, they're all the same. You flip them over and then they're all different. But instead of having one body of water in the center of the map, you have a river running through the width of the map. So it makes it a little bit different to figure out where you're going to line things up, how you want to get the bridges out over top of the water, where you're going to play those cards with the wonders that require a big body of water. How are you going to work mm-hmm. that out? So it really makes it kind of interesting whenever you're playing that there. But what you said, that really is the whole thing there. The variability, like I said, it comes from those objectives, comes from the special powers, comes from right. the maps that you have. The replayability is there, but I don't know if this would be become an old chestnut. It's definitely a fun romp, but not one that you're really sitting there recounting your moves. You want to go right at it again, right away. It's a nice game to pad your gaming collection with, but like um, Under Falling Skies. I've had that game for two years, a year and a half or so, and I haven't played it in a while. I got it back out, and I'm like, this is a lot of fun. This is one that you'll play three, four times, tuck it away. Pack it away. Then get it out three months later, and it's like, wow, this is a fantastic game. And you're going to fall in love with it all over again. It's just not one that... You want to play over and over and over and over because you're going to be really cutting down your enjoyment of that game by playing it so many times. That sounds like a bit of a downside. Bit number seven, we look at the downsides of a game. So it sounds like you're going to cite it as not quite enough variability. The replayability score might be a little low. That, I think, is where the limit of the game comes from. You have a goal to gather that many resources and resonance by the end of the game. Other than that, you don't have that much to really think about. It's based on what cards come out, what wonders come out, and how you're going to work around that. That's the biggest thing here. Uh, spatial engineering of placing the pieces it is interesting, but if you play it too often, it can get old quickly. So that's a kind of a caveat to take in mind there with this game. Yeah, I kind of said the same thing. Uh, Yeah, the theme is light and there's minimal artwork, but that's kind of expected with this type of game. Uh, The only true complaint that I have is that I feel like it's lacking that variability to stay on the shelf long term. It's one that you want to come back to every now and then. Don't revisit it too often because it's a fun game. It's a fun system that works the brain. But I feel like I'm the type that I'm eventually just going to try and game the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that truly, that's... This is not trying to be Brass or Twilight Imperium. It's trying to be a Carcassonne-type game, something simple, a step above beer and pretzels, like the Euro Mm -hmm. version of a beer and pretzel game. You don't have to think too much, and you're going to have a good time in a relatively short time frame. Very well put. Was it fun? And who's it for? Let's bring it on home, King. Bit number eight. Yes, yes, it was fun. I did enjoy myself playing this. Definitely for people who like Seven Wonders, but they want to build those wonders out on the table and build, like, have this land. Did you just pick another game with the word wonders in the title? Maybe. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) 
<laughs> but this is people for who enjoy games where you're trying to lay tiles to be the most efficient. This is for people who want a light to midweight game to take to introduce to new players. I think this is a great one to introduce new players to. For every top-notch game in the top 10 or whatever, there's still three to five other games that are below it that are still fun to play that don't get the love that those top-tier ones get. This, I think, falls into that area here. This falls into the area of this is fun. This is easy to teach. You can get anyone to play. If you're out, I, I know with myself, if I'm traveling for work and we end up going out to some sort of game lounge or a restaurant or bar that has games and everything, this is one you you know you can get off the shelf, introduce it to people. It's easy to play. It's fun to play. It's not going to overstay. It's welcome. It fills the niche in which I think it was made to fit. So it, it it definitely is fun, and I did enjoy it. What about you, Patrick? Uh, it's fine. I don't love it, but I also don't hate it. You know, this falls for me into that category of a game like Azul or Sagrada. Good games with good decisions to be made that ultimately don't get me super excited. It's a style of game that a lot of people love, right? But it's just not quite my cup of tea. It's a great game for folks that uh, that are going to like tile puzzles, neat pieces to play with. I love that. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like the monuments are cool and they look neat on the board and there is appeal to something like that. I think if you're craving a heavy Euro, this is going to be way too light for you. But if you want something that's light, this might have a little bit more meat on the bones. It's on the light end of medium weight. If your game day typically consists of like two big grandiose games, this probably isn't going to fit the bill for you. But if it usually has one big game and then a couple small games, this is the perfect like small game before or after that flagship tentpole game that you're playing for the night. I liked it. Perfect, perfect way of describing it. Go ahead. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is dead. <laughs> his last conscious action on his deathbed was comprising the lacrimosa movement of his opus Requiem. <laughs> I, I'm not as good as you. You, as one of his sponsors, will meet the widow in order to participate one last time in the funding of the works of the Austrian genius. Also, you'll reminisce and retell all your memories alongside Mozart in order to make sure that she portrays you under the best light when writing her memoirs in order to enter history as Mozart's most important patron. So one year ago today, we went through and did our 8-bit breakdown of Lacrimosa. And actually, our last uh, episode, I believe, I had it back out and I played it again solo. So yes, for me, it got back to the table. I had a great time playing it once again. There's something with the look of it, the icons that you have to play, the limited number of cards that you have to play in order to make everything work is such a neat mechanic with this game. It's one that I don't think gets to the table as much as I would like it to. But then since I have the copy, it's kind of my fault that I don't take it with me. But uh, <laughs> it's one that I definitely want to get out and get some more people to play this game again. I truly enjoyed it. 
what are your thoughts on this? Is this something from thinking about it last year, you want to get back to play it again? Or was it just one that, like Josh said the one time, he just did not care for it. And that's where we came up with Josh, you ignorant slut. <laughs> are you making me choke? <clears throat> <laughs> King, I like this one. I like the look. I like that it has that classic Euro feel to it. I think it's one that maybe over time is going to go a little bit under the radar. I don't see it being played when we're at conventions and whatnot one year later. You know, there are games that you see still being played. Like, you're always going to see Wingspan on a table. Yeah. Right? There's some that are just always out. Lacrimosa is one that I think might end up going forgotten, and I think that's a shame. It is ranked in the top 1,000. It's currently at 661. I think it could rise a bit higher. Love the look of it. I love that it's got a lot going on, but it's relatively easy to learn. And the iconography was mm-hmm. clean as a whistle. The artwork was great. I thought the graphic design was really good. And all in all, it's a game that I would love to get back to. But as you've had the copy and you haven't brought it around, I have not had the chance. I know. I'm hanging my head in shame. I'm, it's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> so one year later, it you know what? I have to stick with my original thoughts on it, which were, this game's fantastic. Very good Euro. The theme, the theme's a little bit light. You know, if you're thinking, oh, it's, it's going to be Mozart and whatnot. No, it's, it's a Euro game. You're trying to efficiently play your cards. But the artwork on the board the neat depiction of Europe that they have going on, the Opus cards with each, you know, the illustrations on there. Mm-hmm. I thought that they did a fantastic job. I love the little tokens what, with the wagons and whatnot, the wagon wheels. Great game. I want to play it again. Okay. It's going to go back in the bag there to come out to the shop then. One year later, you recommending it? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I, I definitely recommend it because I, I just love the theme. I love the mechanics. Everything about it, I truly enjoy. Well, that's Lacrimosa, one year later. All right, King, we have done 10 reviews. 10 are in the books. Actually, as of last episode, we, uh, we've done 10 new ones. And as we're one to do, at the end of 10 fresh reviews, we do our top five. Time to calibrate. You know what? Every game's got something going for it, but this is how we say which ones were the best of the most recent 10. You want to recap them? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. What? You mean we've done this 12 times? Well, technically no because there's a like there's a few side quests and and a few things that didn't have 8 bits. So, I want to say this is the probably the 10th time that we've done our top 5. Okay. Of the, yeah. I just boggles <laughs> my mind here. It's one of my favorite things to do. All right. Yes. So, it's time for us to go over the last top 10. So, those of you who are playing at home, so the games are Neotopia Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy, Humanity, Snapships Tactics, Sky Team, Frostpunk, Arborea, Dune Imperium Uprising, The Veil of Eternity, and Ticket to Ride Legacy, Legends of the West. Boy, that's a list right there, King. Yeah, there's some there's some hits on that. Yeah, this is this was a tough one for me. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, hey, I'll go first. Why not? Just just for the fun of it, because I have a special condition. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I have a do. special condition for this <laughs> list. Let me change that. All right, what's that? All right, so number five. I couldn't just pick one. So I, I picked... <laughs> I picked one. I had a couple that were in competition, and I was like, well, I had to narrow it down to one. I did it. You're going to put two at number five? I have a crown, so go with it. Anyway, number five, I have – it's a tie between Snapship's Tactics 
and Frostpunk. Okay. So Snapship Tactics, I love it. It's great. I mean, it's very similar to X-Wing, Crimson Skies, a lot of those flying games, flying tactical games. But the thing that makes it so cool here is, yeah, sure, you can mod out your X-Wing however you want to with a certain pilot, with a certain weapons, but it's still going to look like an X-Wing. But yeah, with Snapship yeah. Tactics, it's going to be different each time because you build your ship with the pieces that are needed. Clever, clever idea. And I just absolutely love seeing them at cons. They had this huge like bin full of Snapship's parts and you just build to your heart's content. So you much fun. You to tinker and play. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, so much fun. And Frostpunk, I never felt so good about feeling bad. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I had a great time playing it. The decisions were really interesting to make, and it didn't feel like a normal cooperative game to me. It felt a little more real, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, we really got down, broke down, because you're not like gonna lose like pandemic has you're cooperating and you have like a b c d you have to do in frostpunk you do the whole thing you're cooperating you have a b c d to do but you also have a part one part two part three right b part one part two part three and all those little extra things to do to make the game either successful or i think from mostly what i've heard from people playing a miserable failure, uh, but it's just it is. I cannot stress more to listeners and to the adventurers. If you get a chance, play this game. It is such an interesting experience to go through. King my number five is Snapships Tactics, oh. which is probably not as good a game as a couple that could have been in this spot or were in contention. But let me rephrase that. I wouldn't recommend this over perhaps a couple of the other games, but all three of the games that I wanted on this spot, uh, you know what, I think Snapships makes it because of the openness of its system and the uniqueness of the game. You got a dogfight in space with ships that you get to customize before your play. And like you said, you're not just picking some different cards, but you're actually putting pieces onto a chassis and constructing it like you, like you want, kind of yep. like with, well, think like Legos, for example. It's a game where I'm happy to revisit as the rules, the gameplay, it's easy to understand, but there's no shortage of fun decisions to make on any given turn. You couple that with the fact that, like, I want to try a ton of different ship builds. I want to play team <laughs> games. It's done so well, and for that reason, I, I couldn't help but put Snapships as my number five. What you got it for, King? Very good. Number four for me was Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. Now, mm. adventurers know I'm not a Twilight Imperium fan, and this kind of feels like a... Twilight Imperium type of game. You're going to find it on the same shelf. Sure. But there's just something about it. You kind of have your own game you're playing as you're building your ships, selecting what ships to build, what upgrades to put on your ships. And that there's just something about that that really drew me in. Now, it also could be the experience of where we were playing at PGX last year, or it could be the experience of who we were playing with. I don't know what all the X factors were, but everything meshed together to make an absolutely fantastic experience, and that is why Eclipse is my number four. My number four is Ticket to Ride Legacy, which, oh. much like every other Legacy game, while playing it, it was the center of my world, and when it was done, it was 
done. And that's why I think it's not a little bit higher on the list. When we did our review of like our favorites of 2023, I think I put Ticket to Ride as like, this was my favorite. But I was in the middle of the campaign at that point. Right. You've got the fun gameplay of base Ticket to Ride with some legacy elements, but they definitely played it safe. Perhaps if they were a bit more daring and impactful with those legacy components, this would rank a little bit higher. I wanted them to have us like flipping the board over and tearing cards up and marking things up, but instead it was more like module, module, module. It was fine, it was fun, and I liked that, but nevertheless, it was a wonderful experience that I'm always going to remember, and Ticket to Ride Legacy is my number four. Okay, well, my number three, I'm going to jump in here, and this is going along with the cooperative thing here, and that is Sky Team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sky Team really surprised me. I saw the the cover for it whenever it was going to be coming out. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. I definitely want to try this. And then I read some stuff about it and looked at it. And I'm like, eh, maybe it's not for me. And then we tried it on BGA and I was hooked. It's just such a dynamic game as you're playing it, trying mm -hmm. to figure out who's going to play what dice to do what each turn because you can't talk to each other. And listen to the episode. You'll hear my rant about how it is so stupid that the co-pilot and the pilot would not talk to each other sitting in the same cockpit. Ah, now that's the mechanism. Of the, the game doesn't work without that. That's, what, I know, that's the I, hook of the game. I know. I know. I'm putting logic in on this, okay? So, so sue me for that. But no, Sky Team was just such a great... An interesting game. I remember teaching uh, Chris from the Renaissance Festival, good friend Chris, teaching him to play that on the train going to PAX. We had a great time sitting across the aisle from each other, just kind of sitting there thinking, what are they going to pick? What are they going to pick? Well, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we crashed brilliantly, but it was fun. It was a great time, though, while we were crashing. So Sky Team is my number three. King, my number three is Dune Imperium Uprising. I like Dune, so it's no surprise that Uprising was basically a home run. There's a slight uptick in the complexity with Uprising compared to Imperium, based primarily on the increased volume of decisions, thanks primarily to the spies. I love what they do to the game, getting to draw extra cards here and there, give you access to spots that you wouldn't otherwise have. That uptick in complexity, it also felt natural because we had familiarity with Dune Imperium. Uh, having played Imperium several times, that little bit of extra complexity, uh, to me, it was welcome. Now, if Dune just so happened to be in another batch of 10 games, it probably, like, Uprising, if this was in another batch of 10, it probably would be the number one for me. So that's a testament to the next two on my list. But mm. fantastic game as expected. And it's my number three. What okay. you got for number two? Well, for number two, that is Ticket to Ride Legends of the West. I had not gone through a legacy game before. This is my first time. So I had a blast playing this. It And like you said, whenever we were playing it, that was the center of everything that was going on. You forgot about everything else. That was what was going on. I loved all the little details of stuff. I, the first packet, whenever we opened it up, and it's like, well, you can't be a conductor or a ticket agent if you don't have a hole punch. That stupid little thing brought me so much joy for that episode playing that game. It was great. Going through and building out the map as you're going, we didn't know exactly where it was going to go, what cities are going to show up. Uh, once we got to California, well, we got a surprise there, and we all laughed about that. It was a great time. The nice thing about it was that I'm so used to playing Ticket to Ride. This just gave it that extra little bit of oomph to make it a little yeah. bit better and make me enjoy my experiences of playing Ticket to Ride even more. And you really realize how great of a game it is. There was a time whenever I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, it's Ticket to Ride. It's 
nothing all that great. But this brought the love back to Ticket to Ride for me. Alan Moon, you did a great job with designing this game to begin with. And all the guys involved with this, thank you for putting your little tidbits in there to make this one even better. And number two, I've got Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. Man, we reviewed this, and I was sure it was going to be the number one game of this batch. And honestly, over time, it's pretty, well, it could surpass my number one. Eclipse, Vorex space game where the asymmetry among the players is implemented with different factions, but it's kicked into overdrive based on the way players opt to add technologies to their race and to their ships. And I like that. I want to have things that I do well that are different from other factions because it gives me ownership of my faction. Mm -hmm. I might not win. But it's mine. You know, I made that. <laughs> it's one that I hope to revisit soon, or I worry that I'm going to end up losing all those rules that are in. In fact, it's been since October, yeah. and I pretty much lost the rules. Like, if I set it up, I'd have to have someone that knows what they're doing there to hold my hand. The components, the decisions, the map exploration, there's just, there's so much going for this game, and that's why it's my number two. Eclipse, second dawn for the Galaxy King. It's time number one. My number one from, from this illustrious group, Dune Imperium Uprising, like anybody would guess anything otherwise. Uh, yes, I love Dune Imperium. I love what they did with this game. I wasn't going to get this. I'm like, this is just a cash grab, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, you were waffling about it at PAX. You're like, I don't know. Do I yes, really need it? I don't need it. I don't need it. I went up. I saw them go through everything, showing me the spies, showing me how it kind of I personally think they did a good job of like kind of streamlining things a little bit better, making the game a little bit easier. I just taught this at our last meetup to four people that are normally role player games, role player gamers, and they did not play Dune Imperium at all. So I got mm -hmm. this out, showed the four of them how to play, probably three turns in, boom, they're on their way. I didn't even have to go back and check on them again. They really did a great job of adding those little tidbits that you really wanted to see in the first one and made yeah. it even better. So, yeah, Dune Imperium Uprising, absolutely number one. Patrick, what is your number one? King, it's Frostpunk, a oh, cooperative yeah. game. How about that? Uh, let me preface this by saying uh, Adventures Frostpunk is not for everybody. It's got a lot of strikes going against that we talked about in the review. The setup time and the teardown time are a real bear. Somebody is going to have to spend half a month trying to figure out how to play this thing. <laughs> The game takes a particular joy with beating the hell out of you, and sometimes it doesn't even offer a glimmer of hope, but Ermagerd, oh this game is monolithic, it's fantastic, it's thematic, it's the bee's knees. The experience you get with your friends huddled around this makeshift village trying to keep warm, keep fed, and not have your people lose faith in you, it's a glorious struggle. The gameplay's engaging. It's fun, and so often it invokes table talk, which is something that I love. There's that game above the table. You know I love that game. Whenever oh, there's, yeah. there's stuff happening on the board and pieces are moving, but you're interacting with the other players. Not like I took your spot, but instead you're negotiating with each other. You're, you're trying to solve a problem together, which is what happens here. Some of my favorites have that, and Frostpunk most certainly does. It's my number one game of this batch of 10, and quite honestly, it's probably in my top 10 of all time. It's that good. Frostpunk, mm, you said it, King. You get a chance to play this one adventures, you've got to give it a try. It's an experience that you're not going to forget. Absolutely. Well, that's about a wrap on 121 King. One thing left to do is how we leveled up. But first, adventures, if you've made it this far, I've got myself the Wingspan Fan Art Pack. It's got like 300 cards done by fans of the game. I open it up. I got my pictures. And you know what? I'm going to give it out. 
Open copy, yes, but we're gonna give it out to an adventure. You made it this far, you put up with that static stuff going on through the 8-bit breakdown. Mike Troubles, it is what it is. All you gotta do is go to our guild forums. 3722 is our BGG guild. Get on there. I got a forum up saying, what's your favorite bird in Wingspan? Tell me your favorite bird. And one person, we're gonna pick you, you're gonna win a copy of the Wingspan fan art expansion. It's free shipping if you're in the U.S. If you're international, though, you can still win, but don't respond unless you're willing to pay the shipping. We don't do fundraising and Kickstarters and sponsors, says coming out of pocket. Tell me, what's your favorite bird? King, how'd you level up? Well, my level up is pretty much the same as it was last year this time. It's for a very important reason I'm copying it. It was because I just finished up volunteering at the Winter Special Olympics. I gotta tell you, these athletes are some of the greatest people in the world they make you smile they make you grateful for everything you have you they make you grateful for the time that you spend with them everything was just wonderful we had a little more snow than last year last year it was kind of embarrassing watching them kind of try and ski through mud but yeah. uh but this year was a little <laughs> bit better with it it was an absolute wonderful time and I, once again i'm going to cheat here a little bit put a slash on there and say hey my play is done. Once it was all said and done, it was a remarkable experience. Huge weight off my shoulders. Now it's just kind of nice to sit back a little bit and decide, okay, I don't have to spend time learning lines. What game do I want to play next? So that makes it a lot of fun. Well so Patrick, done. how did you level up? Okay, so we reviewed Catacombs, the fl the disc flicking game, way back in episode 28. And we've got Funke Town Convention coming up at the end of April. So I wanted a game that would be median engaging, but kind of rules light. And I was like, oh, Catacombs. And I have dreamed ever since we did that review of making a customized Catacombs game. So this game, you get like those little, there's three boards in the game that you fold open. And that's what you're flicking your discs on. And I thought, how cool would it be? to get like veneer paneling, paint it, like paint a scene on it, and then put some lacquer on it, sand it smooth, put some wax on it, make like a custom board. Ooh. So I have three giant custom boards for catacombs, painted and everything, they're, they're, they're smooth, they're slick, and oh, it's gonna be so cool playing this thing. On top of that, the game has little like cylinders, you remember, that they represent like pillars. So like if you flick oh, your yes, disc into yes. that, oh, you hit the pillar. There's no reason that couldn't be 3D. It's not like we're walking through PetSmart in the aquarium aisle and I was like, well, that pirate ship or that castle would be perfect. <laughs> that would be perfect. So I've got all these 3D elements. I got little fires, little villages. I've got the uh, the trees like you see in miniature war games. I put those on, a, on like this block of wood, painted it all up. So that's like one of the obstructions in the game. I can't wait to do that. Custom Catacombs is finished and I'm so excited about it. That's my level up. That is very, very cool. I cannot wait to see that. Hey, adventures, next week we've got a side quest planned as Ryan and I are joined by the designers of what might be the hottest upcoming Euro game, Galactic oh my, yes. Cruise. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, join us at Ruckus Cafe on March 23rd from 2 to 8. That's the next Level Up Meetup. And finally, Funke Town. Uh, this is a small convention in Knoxville. It's going to go from April 26th through 28th. They've got the convention center. The price is right. King and I are going to be there along with Teacher Ryan and Explorer Josh. We're hosting games of the hour. We're going to have giveaways. Basically, if you want to hang out and just play a game, it's a convention where we're going to have all day to just play. So put it on your calendars. Come join us. Make sure you say hi. King, you get the last word. Are you a nerd because you like Star Wars? Or do you like Star Wars because you're a nerd? Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. 
We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.